right and wrong, good and bad. I have to admit that I myself have some dualistic leanings, but I've found a few strategies to help me. Uh, one is just being older than 40 years of age. Another one is getting outside, being in nature, digging in the garden, see what, seeing what happens in my garden. Another is reading poetry, and yet another is hearing a good story. We're in Genesis this summer. The first 11 chapters of Genesis and the first 11 chapters of Genesis are full of good stories. So we have another good story today in chapter 4 of Genesis. Before we hear the scripture, would you stand with me and recite the Shema, a prayer uh, that simply means to listen, to hear. This is a prayer that Jesus would have prayed every day. Let's recite it together. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You can have a seat and listen to this good story from the fourth chapter of Genesis, beginning with verse 4. Now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel, for his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not you be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain said to his brother Abel, Let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you have driven me away from the soil, and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and anyone who meets me may kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who came upon him would kill him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, and he settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the story of God for the people of God. Would you say with me, thanks be to God? Well, when I hear that story, the first thing that I think is, why can't they get it together? This is a troubling text. What if the story went this way? How about this? Adam and Eve are sent out of the garden. They have two children, 
five grandchildren. They get a nice home in the country with a big front porch and two rocking chairs, and they live happily ever after. Man, I would like that. That's a nice bedtime story. But it's boring, and we wouldn't need the rest of the Bible if that's how that story went. I suppose that the trouble with the world outside of the garden is that there are people out there, children and brothers and sisters and neighbors, and life with other people can be difficult. The story says that the friction between people comes from the experience that life is unfair. Cain and Abel both bring an offering to the Lord. The Lord looks with favor upon Abel and his offering, but upon Cain and his offering, none. The text doesn't specify why. Why did God regard Abel's offering and not Cain's? And there's no consensus about why among those who read and study the Bible. Let me run a few by you. You might even have a theory of your own. God prefers ranchers to farmers. The family I married into would agree with that, but not my family of origin. (laughs) How about this? Abel gave the very best, or the first fruits. Cain just gave some of what he had. Or this, an offering of blood is greater than an offering of fruit. That's because the land was cursed in chapter 3. I don't know. I don't know the why. It's a story. We're all invited to play with the why if we want to. That's fun. I'm just not sure it's the most productive venture. But there's nothing wrong with fun. More helpful and more productive might be to sit with the pain of the scenario that happens in this story. That often in life, God has favorites. God smiles upon them. Things come easily. It's as though they put their offering on the altar and it quickly bursts into flames. God loves them, and I can tell because they look good. Their life is easy, and I know differently from my own life. Maybe I should have seen trouble coming in Genesis chapter 4 because Abel's name literally means vapor or nothingness. He's not long for this world. That's foreshadowing. And believe it or not, this is the first time that the word sin appears in the Bible. Verse 7, the end of verse 7 says this, Sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Last week when we were talking about the garden and the tree and the forbidden fruit, there was no direct mention of sin. This is the first time it shows up in the Bible. But here in relationship between brothers, sin lurks at the door. The NIV says crouches at the door like a hungry lion ready to devour its prey. Sin is not so much about breaking the rules, but it's about breaking relationship. What is sacred happens between us. One of my very favorite Rabbi Jonathan Sachs quotes is that truth and beauty and goodness and life doesn't exist in any one person. No one person has a corner of it, corner on it. But instead, truth and beauty and goodness and life exist between us. 
What is sacred happens between us, and sin is a break in what is sacred and what happens between us. The anger that Cain experiences us experiences tells us that the temptation to break relationship is there. At the door, crouching, ready to pounce. Much has been speculated about the Hebrew word that's translated there at the very end of verse 7. Uh, the Hebrew word is temshel or temshel. And um, the NRSV is translated, you must master it. it. It's at the very end of verse 7. You must master the sin of rage. But other translations say you may master it. In John Steinbeck's novel, East of Eden, one of the main characters in the novel, Lee, spends a good amount of time meditating on this particular verse in Genesis chapter 4 and considering the implications of this verse. He wonders, is it an invitation or is it a challenge or is it a promise? Temptial. Maybe it's all of that. And in the end, Lee decides that we have a choice. We have this choice to master sin or not to. And it's a choice of responsibility. And if we don't master it, then it masters us. It's ready to pounce. It crouches at the door. And Temshul is one of the very last words in that novel, East of Eden. The song that we played at the very beginning of worship, the Mumford and Sons song, is titled Temshul. And the word is a popular tattoo. When I Googled it, it showed up as a popular tattoo. People get Temshul tattooed onto their bodies. Perhaps it, this was the mark of protection that God placed on Cain, this choice to master sin or not to master sin. Let it master you. One thing I know about anger is that anger is a feeling. It's a warning sign, if you will. You have It just tells you that your expectations have not been met. And you have some choices about what to do with anger. You can stuff anger. Resentment and depression are probably one of my personal favorite ways to handle anger. Or you can rage. Rage is another option with anger. When you rage, you inflict your pain onto other people. But maybe there's a third way. Maybe there's another option besides resentment and rage. I contend that wisdom typically resides in the third way. So what would the third way be? At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus is teaching, and Jesus teaches about murder. And he, he talks about making an offering on the altar. He says this. He says, when you are offering your gift at the altar... If you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift and be reconciled to your brother or sister. Now, we have made Jesus' teaching there about leaving a gift at the altar. We've made that about right and wrong strategies for worship. You know, if you have some resentment in your heart, get rid of it before you deal with God or else. But what if, what if when Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount and he was talking about anger and he was talking about murder, what if he was referencing this Cain and Abel story? Hear it again. When you are offering your gift at the altar, 
If you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift and be reconciled to your brother or sister. Maybe what Jesus is teaching there on the Sermon on the Mount is a third way, a way that's not resentment, a way that's not rage, but the way that is reconciliation. And reconciliation, reconciliation means that there is a priority over what I do or how I perform. What happens between us is more important than how either one of us do what we do or how either one of us are evaluated. Author and pastor Danielle Schroyer says that the tragedy of Cain is that he doesn't lack anything when he starts his downward spiral. She contends that God doesn't look negatively on, upon Cain just as offering. She says that Cain lives in God's presence with God's image, but he mistakenly links who he is with what he does. It's not enough to be loved. Instead, Cain yearns to be special. He yearns to be favored. And favored implies that we're a part of a select group. And while it's, it's easy to recall what it's like to make a team or to get into a social club, the truth of the matter is that God's not running a varsity basketball team. and God's not running a sorority. God specializes in blessing, not favor. And those two concepts, blessing and favor, are vastly different. Favor depends on what I do. But blessing depends on God. Blessing's not earned. Blessing just is. Now, I know that you've heard the word favor before in church, in Christian settings, but you need to know that the popularity and the practice of favor or prosperity gospel is a uniquely modern American concept. It comes on the scene in just the last 150 years. The word favored is like favorite and it implies specialness. And Danielle Scheuer writes in her book this quote that I really like. Special simply doesn't happen to just anyone. I mean, that's what makes special special, right? And I'd say special is a world, worldly concept. It's not a godly concept. Special simply doesn't happen to, to just anyone. But blessing simply happens to everyone. And to be honest, I believe that God doesn't seem to care as much for special as I do. I'm the one who likes special. In fact, one of the consistent themes in the biblical story is that God selects, God chooses those whom I would say are anything but special, the least special among us. It's the story of Moses and David and Jonah and Mary and Zacchaeus, and most, if not all, of the disciples, just to name a few, who are not special, who are the least special. But blessing happens for everyone. There's no prior priority of person in God's economy. We are all blessed. And the implication or the cost of blessed is that we're all connected. There's an interconnectedness among us if we're all blessed. 
Now, I have found that preaching regularly has meant for me that the scripture that we are considering gets a hold of my week. For the first three chapters of Genesis, that's been terrific because here's what we've been talking about. Creation and beauty and life and boundaries. I even love boundaries. So the first three chapters of Genesis were great. But this week, this week, chapter four of Genesis, what a week I had. Two things became evident to me in this week. Evident and difficult. Spotting my anger before it pounces on me and the priority of connectedness, the importance of relationship. If you were to go home and read this story again this afternoon, you would find that the word brother shows up in the text seven times. Seven times is the number for the divine or perfection. And it tells me that while The relationships that happen outside of the garden are tricky and difficult and sometimes even next to impossible. There is a priority that God places upon relationships. There is a priority that God puts upon how we relate with our brothers and our sisters. The very end of the Cain and Abel story, Cain wanders. He wanders and he lives east of Eden in the land of Nod. This is a place that would have thought to have been beyond protection. Yet the Lord says that Cain's protection is ensured. He will be protected. And I want you to hear this morning that we still live east of Eden, where those who are blessed wander vulnerably in conditions that, as Cain said, are unbearable. So I ask you, Are you your brother's keeper? Am I my sister's keeper? And the answer that this story has is yes. Yes, we surely are. Would you pray with me? Lord God, you are ruler of the universe. You created us blessed, every one of us, your son and your daughter. We set up divisions and we prioritize some people over others. We scan your beautiful creation for our favorites. Would you grant us clearer vision? Help us to honor one another and allow us to seek reconciliation. Give us the strength to seek reconciliation where healing is needed. We want to bring in your kingdom We want more life, more truth, more beauty, more goodness between us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.